Well, good morning. I have the great joy of uh, introducing our guest preacher this morning, and many of you don't, he doesn't need an introduction, but for those of you who just met him the other day like I did, uh, Tim and Jill Bruno are in town this weekend and are going to share with us this morning, so welcome Tim and Jill. Well, hello everyone. Come on up here, honey. We are Tim and Jill Bruno, and for those of you that don't know us, I just want to give you a little introduction about who we are and how we're friends and family here. And for those of you that do know us, I want to get you just caught up a little bit as to what's been going on in our life. So currently, we are living in Duluth, Minnesota. That is where we are at right now. But from 2007 to 2015, we were here in Soldotna, Alaska, and Tim was the associate slash youth pastor. We had the opportunity to be a part of this family and grow and live in this community, and it was wonderful. And then in 2015 to 2020, we moved to Hawaii and planted a church on the big island of Hawaii. Now, many, many of you guys have prayed for us and supported us and gone along on that journey with us. And we just want to say thank you or mahalo from the bottom of our hearts. Because there is no way we could have done that without your prayers and your support and your encouragement while we were there in Hawaii. So thank you very, very much for that. So now, from 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic, we decided to move to Duluth, Minnesota. Um, we did that in order to help take care of our family, and that is where we're at right now. Um, Tim is an interim pastor at a church there, and so he's helping this church transition from one pastor to the next, and I am a children's ministry director at a different church there in Duluth. Um, as many of you know, our oldest daughter, May, got married in January to a wonderful young man named Simeon, and so they are married now, and they live about five hours from us, and we are enjoying that new season of life with a son-in-law. Um, our son Gabriel is at college. He is at Liberty University. He'll be leaving in a couple weeks to head on back to start his junior year at Liberty, and he is studying project management uh, there at Liberty. And then we have another young gal named Emma who is also living with us, and she is going into the 10th grade this coming year. So that's where our family is at right now, and you're all caught up. Um, we will be hanging out after the service over in the fellowship hall for as long as we can in order to talk with all of you and get caught up on what you guys are doing and what is going on in your life the past few years. So thank you very much, and I will turn it over to Tim. Thank you. Hey, um, you have to stay up here with me now since I was here with you for, for the next, next three hours. Yeah, this is going to so. be a 20-minute sermon. Yeah. It is, uh, it's so good to see you and so good to be with you this morning. Um, we've had a lot of adventures in the last few years, but I want to tell you about my favorite day uh, since, since we uh, left the church here. Um, last January, not this January of 2022, but of 2021, um, my son Gabriel and I had the opportunity to go to Liberia to teach at the African Bible College. Uh, I got to teach. Uh, Gabe got to hang out with Dave Peterson, and, and we had a, a wonderful time there. About six weeks in, Jill came over to Liberia, and one of the professors there, Professor Bobby Smith, was telling me 
about a church that he had out in the middle of nowhere Liberia. And when I say out in the middle of nowhere Liberia, it literally was nowhere. Um, what happened was when the, uh, when the country of Liberia had made the maps, they had forgotten to put this little village on the map. So it doesn't actually show up on the Liberian map. And uh, uh, Bobby, Dr. or Professor Bobby Smith was given the opportunity to deliver shoeboxes. A lot of you know about the shoeboxes that we do. Um, and and uh, he was bringing those uh, shoebox, Operation Shoebox, out to a little village. He had 200 shoeboxes to deliver to the children in a little town called Vepa. And he was driving in a, uh, a land cruiser. He had about six motorcycles that had all these shoeboxes packed on the top and inside, and, and people are riding on these motorcycles. And he gets to a fork in the road. And when he gets to the fork in the road, he asks somebody, uh, I am going to Viepa. Which way do I turn? And he was supposed to say Vepa, but he said Viepa. And they said, oh, well, if you want to go to Viepa, you go to the right. And so he turned to the right and went through this uh, little two-track in the middle of nowhere, crossing rivers and moving trees out of the ways. And uh, he finally gets to this village, and he pulls up in front of a house. And when he gets to the house, he... Uh, uh, a man comes out and he says, I'm looking for the chief of the village. And the, uh, the man says, well, it so happens that I am the chief of the village. And he says, well, we have 200 shoeboxes to give away to 200 children. And the man says, well, we only have about uh, 50 in our village, but uh, I have in the surrounding villages five in total. There are about 200 children. And so he sent word out, and three hours later, there were 200 children sitting in front of the house of the chief of the village. And I don't know if you've ever seen the video, but they gave a shoebox to all the children, told them not to open it. They count one, two, three. They all open shoeboxes. First Christmas present any of these kids have ever received in their entire life. Pastor Bobby says, well, I have a, an even better gift to give you. And with your permission, I'll come back next week and give it to you. The next week, he came back. People from all five villages show up. He shares the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for sinners, that you and I are sinners, that if we receive the gift of Jesus, we can be delivered from our sins. The chief of the village gave his life to Jesus along with a number of other people. We call it the accidental church plant because they said, well, uh, Pastor Bobby, we don't have a church and we don't have a pastor. We've never heard of Jesus and we'd like to have a church here. They set aside a piece of land and gave it to them. They built a church and now they have a school there as well. God does not forget about people. God does not forget even when the country doesn't remember you. Jill and I had the opportunity to go and to visit Viapa. And when we crested the hill and came down, there were 200 people rejoicing that we had made it safely through the jungle. And I got to stand in front of them and share the love of Jesus for them. We got to walk and tour that village, and it was the greatest day of my life. God 
does not forget. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, we continue the story of the history of the church. In Acts 1.8, Jesus stood before the disciples and said, When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts shows the story of the church, how it started in Jerusalem, moved to Judea and Samaria, and traveled to the ends of the earth. We have the Pentecost, where the people there received the Holy Spirit, where Peter preached to 5,000, and 5,000 gave their life to Jesus. Then he preached to 4,000, and 4,000 gave their life to Jesus. The church was blooming and flourishing in Jerusalem, and then all of a sudden... Uh, we had the stoning of Stephen, one of the deacons. Remember, Jesus was the head. They said, if we strike down the head, the flock will scatter. When it came to the church, they had a, a group of elders, pastors, apostles. They, uh, they started a group of deacons, and then uh, Stephen was killed, and the flock scattered. But when they scattered across Judea and Samaria, they brought with them the gospel to the Samaritans. They brought the gospel to the ends of the earth. Everywhere they went, the gospel was spread. There was some people that remained in Jerusalem. Those people were the, the uh, main apostles, Peter being one of them. We get to Acts chapter 12, verse 1. You're caught up on the, the story of Acts so far. And in verse 1 it says, Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. Interesting, what happens is Herod has the ability to, uh, to kill people. He has the ability to do whatever he wants. And uh, when he finds out that it, it, he's also a politician. So when he finds out that it makes people happy that James was killed, he said, well, I'm going to do it again. Right? What we have in verse 2, James, the brother of John, was put to death with the sword. He is the uh, second martyr of the church. Not only that, but he says, I'm going to grab the head. I'm going to get the guy who's in charge. And he grabs Peter. He puts him in jail. He arrests him. It is during a festival time. You can see that in verse 3, the, uh, the days of unleavened bread. And so he says, when the days of unleavened bread are through, we're going to have another one. And Peter's going to be the third martyr of the church. And Peter finds himself in jail. Look at what it says in verse 4. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending, after the Passover, to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was made fervently by the church of God. Notice a couple things. Four squads of soldiers. I don't know how many that is in a, uh, a Roman army. I know that a squad of soldiers, uh, of Marines, is between 8 and 12. 
And so we're looking at about 40 men here that arrest Peter. This is not only um, an arrest, it is also a show. It's a show of power. It's to make the, the people happy. The politician is trying to make the people happy instead of doing what is right. I don't know if you noticed, but the church does what the church is supposed to do in times of difficulty and times of trouble. Do you see that in verse 5? If you have your own Bible here, I would like you to underline, but prayer for him was made fervently. Fervent prayer. When you and I go through difficult times, we need to pray. Pray intensely. Pray actively. Pray timely. And yet sometimes we forget to pray. I want you to uh, stop for a second. I want you to think about how Peter may have felt. Now, most of you have heard this story and you know the end of the story. You know the heavenly perspective. You know, I've been through difficult times in my life and I've gone through it and in the midst of it, it's really, really hard. In the end of it, I look back and I say, you know what, that was difficult, but God is faithful. But afterwards, I have a heavenly perspective. Peter is in jail. We know the end of the story. We have the heavenly perspective, but we forget how he feels. Right? Daniel is about to go into the lion's den. Are we worried? No, because we know the end of the story. Joseph, thrown in a pit. Are we worried? No. Because we have the heavenly perspective. COVID? Are you worried? You know why? We don't have the heavenly perspective. Jill and I, uh, when we lived in Hawaii, used to scuba dive together once a week. We would shore dive, which means that we would walk to the edge of the where the shore meets. And for $4 to fill the air tank, you can go scuba diving. Okay? To get on a boat costs you many hundreds of dollars to go. But even a pastor can afford a $4 tank of air. And our last uh, time, she, Jill would take these videos, and some of you would see the videos and, and comment uh, about the videos and different things like that. And uh, we are scuba diving, and we're down, and Jill, you know, she's like an artist, and she's got this camera, and she finds these little amoebas on the bottom of the ocean, and she's trying to video them and get them in the right light and change the color and, and frame them just perfectly. And she happened to be um, videoing a sea urchin. Now, you know what a sea urchin is? It's like a pin cushion, but the pins are facing the wrong way. Okay, I have a friend that uh, was uh, in Hawaii, and he walked out, and he stepped on an urchin. He got 90-something spines in his foot when he stepped on it. Okay? I mean, it is uh, one of the things in the oceans that you don't want to deal with. Okay? You don't want to deal with a sea urchin. And she's filming this sea urchin, and uh, one of the rules of diving is you 
never leave your buddy, your dive buddy, right? And I was about, I was about 10 or 15 feet away. And while she is filming the sea urchin, the spinner dolphins come in. And I mean, I am getting the show. I'm like looking and, the, you know, you're seeing these spinner dolphins. Like, I mean, they're like within 10 feet of me and they're coming up and they're jumping out of the water and they're splashing down. And uh, when you want to get your buddy's attention, you know what you do? You get your dive knife out and you start banging on your scuba tank. And it sounds like a little bell, right? Gong, 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 gong. And more, most of the time I'd gong like three or four times and she'd look over at me and I'm, I'm watching and I'm pointing, I'm gong, 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 gong. And then I look at her, you know what I see? I see uh, fins up in the air. This is what I see. Just her back. And I'm like gong, 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 gong. And I'm pointing and gong, gong, gong. And then I look back and all I see is her back. And gong, gong, gong. And at one point, this is what she did. <laughs> Go away. Leave me alone. And gong, gong, gong. And I'm like, she is filming the pain of the ocean, and I'm looking up. And finally, I swam over to her and grabbed her fin, and she turned around. You should have seen the hate in that woman's eyes. She was like, you know. I'm like, there's dolphins in your film in Havana. I mean, a, a sea urchin, right? She missed it. She missed the show. Now, later they came back, like a half hour later, we got to see him and she got him on film and everything else. But you know what? Sometimes we're so focused on the pain down here that we miss. We miss what's going on up there. And you know how we get there? Fervent prayer. Look with me at verse 6. Well, let me, let me talk about Peter for a second. I wonder what Peter was thinking and saying. And the Bible doesn't tell us his thoughts. But maybe what he was thinking and, and saying in his prayers was, God, I followed your son for three years. I've done this. I've done that. You have allowed Stephen to die. Just recently, James has died. I'm in prison. There's no hope for me. Herod's got hatred in his heart. He's ready to murder me. He wants to make the people happy. Why? Why, Lord? Haven't I served you? Haven't I done things for you? Can I be honest with you for a second? It's sometimes when things go wrong around me, I don't really talk to God for a while. That's a horrible thing for a pastor to say, isn't it? But I want to be honest with you this morning. I have done so many things for you, God. Why can't you just do something for me? I don't think Peter thought he was coming out of this thing. One of his buddies, James, has just been murdered. But look what happens in verse 6. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, 
Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow, and he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. Notice a couple things. Peter was sleeping. Peter's really good at sleeping when he should be praying. You remember that other time in the garden? Can't you just pray for a couple hours, Peter? Why do you keep falling asleep when you should be praying? Could that be said about us? That we are sleeping instead of praying? Are your prayers frequent and fervent? We're focused on the sea urchin and not what's happening above. He was uh, chained between two soldiers, bound with two chains. It kind of sounds like he's got one wrist chained to one soldier and another wrist chained to the other soldier. And as we read through this, there's guards in front of the door. It's like every door he goes through, there's guards there guarding. They're trying to make sure that the church isn't going to come and take him away. And then God does a miracle, doesn't he? And what's the miracle? The chains fall off, an angel wakes him up. It's kind of humorous, right? He's like sleeping so soundly. The angel doesn't just say, Peter, get up. He's like knocking him on the side, like whacking him. Get up, get up. Come on, put your clothes on. Time to go. Get your sandals on. We're going. Finally, he gets out. He thought in verse 9, seeing a vision, he thought he was dreaming. He thought this whole thing was a dream. Look at verse 10. And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to an iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed for him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. Okay? God did not forget Peter in prison. God does not forget. He knows you. He loves you. He knows what you're going through. He knows your struggles. He knows your trials. He has not forgotten you. Look at what happens in verse 12. And when they realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark. They, they, where many were gathered together and were praying. Okay? Praying. They were praying. Uh, for the first 150 years, churches didn't have buildings. So they met in synagogues. They met in uh, people's houses. They met under trees. They met together but they didn't have a building to go to, and it so happens that the church is at Mary's house. By the way, probably the same house where the upper room where Jesus uh, last supper was probably Mary's house. Okay? Um, 
the rest of the story is pretty interesting. Because what happens is Peter thinks, hey, these guys are praying for me. I better go and tell them that I'm out. So he goes to Mary's house. He knocks on the door. Uh, a little girl named Rhoda comes. And he says, she says, who is it? He goes, it's Peter. She gets so excited, she doesn't open the door. She runs and, and tells the other people, hey, Peter's outside the door. I just heard him. He just knocked and I went. And, he was, and, and they're like, you're crazy, Rhoda. You know, we know where he is. We know he's in prison. We've been praying for him, but this is just too big for God to do something. Like it. You're crazy. And she says, no, I've heard him. I really have heard him. He's out there. He's out. Well, where is he? Maybe you heard his ghost. Maybe you just heard, maybe he's died and maybe you're hearing from him. And finally, the knocking continues and finally they open the door and then everyone wants to talk and Peter says, quiet. And he tells them what happens and then he gets out of Dodge. Okay, that's the rest of the story. By the way, the next part of the story is that Herod, the one that executed James and wanted to kill Peter, ends up dying. Because God's judgment comes to those who persecute the church. Okay? But the key here is prayer. And the other key is that God does not forget. God does not forget children in unknown African village. He doesn't forget single mothers that are struggling to make the ends meet. He doesn't forget spouses in unloving marriages. God doesn't forget children that go to bed hungry. He doesn't forget the fatherless or the orphan. He doesn't forget the widow. He doesn't forget people in bush villages in Alaska. He doesn't forget the person in a dead-end job or the homeless living under the bridge. God doesn't forget the mistreated and the misunderstood. He doesn't forget small churches that very few know about. In fact, God saves every tear in a bottle. He knows when you cry. And he's he enjoys it when you smile. He feeds the sparrows. He clothes the flowers. He knows the amount of hairs on your head. God goes through the valley of the shadow of death with you. He wants to bring victory to all of your hurts, your habits, and your hang-ups. He's the God that trained Joseph in the dungeon. He's the God who trained Moses in the wilderness to set the captives free. He trained Jesus, or David, the greatest king in Israel, in the wilderness when he was being chased by Saul. God never causes pain, but we can praise him when he allows it because he can turn it to good. He doesn't forget, but he does strengthen. Steel is forged in the fire. Gold is refined with heat. So bring the heat. Embrace the pain. He has not forgot about you. He is in the process of making you into a diamond. So he can say to the world, look what I can do with someone who is totally committed to me. By the way, a diamond is a lump of coal 
that has endured heat and pressure for a long period of time. He's not forgotten those who don't know him as Lord and Savior. So say, yes, Lord, use me to spread the gospel in any way that you feel fit. The gospel is for everybody. It's going to the end of the earth. It's going to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And we'll all cast our crowns at the greatest concert in history. He will create a new heaven and a new earth. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be death. There will no longer be mourning or crying or pain. He will make all things right. He will make all things new. I'm looking forward to that day because now we see in a glass but dimly, but then we will see him face to face. Today it takes faith to believe that he doesn't forget, but then we will know without a shadow of a doubt of his agape love for us. He uses your pain. He forms you and changes you so that you can become like the moon that reflects the sun, a diamond that reflects his goodness and grace to those around you. So that someday, you and I can hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Will you bow with me? Father, I pray that you will take these words that we know in our head and move them to our hearts. That you will impress on our lives that you love us deeply and dearly. That you take every hurt and every pain, every sorrow, every difficulty, everything that the devil wants to destroy us, and you make them good. You refine and you strengthen. You take the dross and you clear it off of the gold. And Father, I pray that will be the cry of our heart, that we will understand it and know it. That we'll quit looking at the sea urchins down here and we'll look up. We'll look up for the show that you have, that we'll see the heavenly perspective that you will give us strength as we go through difficult times. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.